We are studying the women of the Bible. We looked at Ruth last week, and we're going to look at another part of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is such a big character within the, within the teaching. She's a, a Gentile woman, but who ends up in the lineage of Jesus. So we know that there's true significance to her story. And uh, I hope that as we understand this, and I, 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 could, I could speak several weeks on Ruth, but this is, we're going to wrap it up tonight and move on because there's so many women to cover. Ruth is uh, just dynamic in our understanding because in the overall picture, we understand Ruth pictures the bride and we understand that Boaz is a strong picture of the kinsman redeemer of Jesus. You know, there was, a, there was a, a kinsman even nearer to Ruth than what Boaz was. So that by the law, she actually was the responsibility of the near kinsman, the one whose relationship was actually closer. So Boaz goes to this man and says, our, our a family member, Naomi, has returned from Moab. And she owns land. And this man says, okay, I get it, I'll take care of her. Because he wanted to redeem what was rightfully theirs. He wanted to, to do what was right. Until, Boaz says, and there is this daughter-in-law whose name is Ruth. And between them they have no son. And, and Boaz says, so your, your obligation is not only to purchase her, redeem her, but you also have to give her life. You have to be with Ruth and produce a son. You have to give life to her. And he says, I can't do that. I can redeem her, but I can't give her life. So we understand what we're, what we're seeing is a picture of what the law would do in its incomplete redemption and what only Jesus could do, not only to purchase us, but to give us life. So we understand the significance of who Boaz is in this story. But tonight we're going to focus a second time on Ruth and how she represents us in this story. She represents the church and how we're supposed to respond to the love and the care and the attention that God gives us. Because it was remarkable within this story that Boaz noticed her. I mean, everything disqualified her. Everything said that he had absolutely ever reason to pay her no attention. We understand today that the reason God loves us is because of his heart and not because of our goodness. He loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. That's why I can tell you today, as we, we say it often, that, that there's absolutely nothing you can do today that would make God love you more. You can't wake up today and say, I want, I want to be a better Christian so that God would love me more. But on the other side, there's also nothing you, you can do so bad that would make God love you any less. Because God's love for us is fixed in his heart and not based on our performance. Well, that's what we begin to see in the relationship of Boaz and Ruth. Boaz loved her the minute that he saw her. Ruth chapter 1, beginning with verse 19, where we'll pick up the story. Last week, we ended with Ruth saying, I will never leave you. I won't forsake you. I'm not going to go anywhere. Wherever you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. And where you die, I'll die. And that, that was 
her faithful message. Ruth chapter 1 verse 19 says, So they, they two went un, until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? What do you think had happened? From the time that she had left, and they had been there a long time, to the time that she came back, that would make the community that was around her be startled. Now, everyone, everyone would have expected her to have aged from the time that she left to the time that she came back. So it wasn't age that startled them. What do you think startled them when they saw and had to ask, is this Naomi? Countenance. Absolutely. I mean, she was broken. When she left, I'm sure with her husband, she left with every hope and every dream and every expectation. When she came back, there was none of that that was left. Every dream she had, every expectation had been, had been you know, had, had left, had gone. She came back and her countenance was so demonstrating everything that happened. A loss of a husband, the loss of two sons, a daughter-in-law who turned and went back as Naomi had encouraged, and now she was comforted and strengthened by one. And the community that had known her, that she had been a part of, looked at her and said, what, you know, is this Naomi? Verse 20, and she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Sadness in her had replaced her beauty, and weariness had overwhelmed her strength. And she learned what we have all have a hard time learning because we, we, we struggle, truly struggle to understand God. And, and one of the reasons that we do, and I don't have a flip chart in here, so I'm going to have to draw this in the air and maybe you can follow it. But if, if I were to put God right here in the middle of, of, of a piece of paper, as I've explained many times, most of us understand God by beginning with man down here at the, at the bottom, looking at the qualities of men and reasoning up a better version of man to create God. So we have reasoned our understanding of God and given God human characteristics. And the unfortunate part of that is the variableness in men. We understand that men can love and men can break that love based on the situation and the circumstances that they're in. So man is variable. If we assign those characteristics to God, what does God become? He becomes variable. And that's where we somehow believe that I can do something that would make him love me differently than how he loves me. How we get the, we get the feeling at times that he's disappointed in us or frustrated at us. Because we have reasoned up an understanding of God rather than what we should have done starting from above, the, above where he is, recognizing that what we're supposed to know about God has to be revealed down, not reasoned up. And I want to tell you, when we begin to understand God by revelation, we, that's when we begin to understand how he loves us. Tim had brought to my attention this morning that, uh, that Graham Cook is going to be in Dallas in the middle of June. Uh, if we can get this together, I would love to take a group of people, however many wanted to go, to that Graham Cook conference, at least for part of it or all of it, if we possibly could, 
because so much of what, you, when you, every time you hear me say that about God's love, about how, about how we can't do anything for us to make him love us more or anything to make him love us less, I am every time quoting Graham Cook. Because Graham Cook has got the best grasp on, on the grace of God and the love of God of any man that I've ever heard teach. And he's got that amazing Scottish accent, and he's a wonderful to listen to, remarkable man of God, and I would love to take a group into that conference. He is, he's truly great. And uh, we'll, we'll see if that can happen. But I want us to understand what it means to let God reveal himself to us. Here's a moment when... Naomi had to learn because when you don't receive God by revelation, he has to teach you through knowledge and through experience. Lesson. Well, Elimelech and, and Naomi left Bethlehem and shouldn't have, went out to Moab and, and married, which they shouldn't have. And it's hard to believe then that any, in any form or fashion that we could blame God for the consequences. So, so she has learned what we're supposed to learn by reading and, hear, and hearing the Spirit in Galatians 6, verse 8, this scripture, For he that sows to, the, to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. What had they actually done when they went out into, the, into Moab? They had sown in the flesh. They made decisions based on what they saw was right. Every man doing what they thought was correct. So they made a choice to leave the, the difficulty they saw in Bethlehem to go out to Moab that was 100% flesh. And now what's, what's uh, Naomi's confession now when she's coming back? She says, God dealt bitterly with me. What's the reality of that? What's the truth about that? The consequences of her action. The consequences of their action. And this, is, this sounds very much like us because we assign so many things to God when in simple reality it's the consequences of the choices that we made and God let it doesn't change the fact that he loves us or loves us any less but the consequences when we step outside of his will of his plan of his design are going to be what we experience and that's that he will not change so Naomi has come back and said call me Myra because I'm bitter Everything about me is now bitterness. And yet, uh, for her and for Ruth, better days are ahead. Let's begin with chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her half was, was too light on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz, which was of the kindred of Elimelech. So basically, where she was gleaning, there wasn't enough there. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel 
that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little while in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth. And, and listen carefully to this because understand what's happening here. This is, this is God's attraction. This is Jesus' attraction to us. Now, this is remarkable because we get this feeling, we get this understanding of how much we're supposed to love him. I want to tell you that when, when he finds and he sees that bride, his heart is so captured. If you don't believe me, read the Song of Solomon. Read about this passionate love that he feels for his bride. I want to tell you, if, if you think we're anxious for the day of his return, he is a bridegroom who has waited a long time for the love of his life. Notice here the passion and the love that begins to, and the care that begins to come out of him. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Harvest thou not, I'm sorry, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here, fast by my maidens. And let thine eyes be on the field that thou do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch you? And when, when you are athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in your eyes, that you, show me, that you take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that you have done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of, of her husband. And now thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come into a people whom thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, and under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for thou hast spoken friendly unto thy handmaiden, though I be not like unto any one of the other handmaids. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. This is this is that moment when we realize the first time Boaz saw her, he was struck. His heart was so taken that there was absolutely nothing left but for him to be overwhelmed. When we get to the story, and and I. I'm going to say it's in Genesis 24 and 25. Uh, but, but there's maybe a little earlier than that. I hadn't looked at the story in a while, so it's hard to remember. But there's, within those chapters, Abraham sends an unnamed servant to find a bride for his only begotten, for his only begotten son, Isaac. So we get this very clear picture of Abraham, a father, who sent an unnamed servant to find a bride for his only begotten son. So we understand God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. And so, the, so this unnamed servant goes and he finds this woman. And she is striking. 
and he puts her to a couple of different tests. And her family wants her to stay, and she said, she said no, if, if, you know, if, if I'm going, I'm going to go right now. And the Holy Spirit finds her faithful. And one of the most remarkable things in that picture is when the Holy Spirit, when this unnamed servant is bringing her back, she asks this question, who is that in the field? And the unnamed servant says, that is your betrothed, that is Isaac. And within that scripture, you, you, you find this moment, this remarkable moment, when this bride and this bridegroom see each other for the first time. I want to tell you, if we begin to comprehend how Jesus loves us, then we can't be surprised that his heart is immediately taken. I, I, don't, mean, I don't mean to sound corny, but I remember the exact moment when, 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 my, when my heart left my chest and, and hit Jan's. I, I know the moment that, it, that it, that happened. It wasn't the moment we met. But the first time I went to her apartment and we were talking about books, which she'd asked me to find a book for her in the library, and I'd gone to, to tell her, and, and we talked about it a few minutes as she sat there. There was a moment when she was talking about something that had happened in her life, and the first emotion that I felt for her was compassion. I want to tell you, one of the great realities of a love story is that the first mo emotion that we feel is not love. The first emotion that we feel is compassion. I want to tell you, it became very natural then to fall in love with her because compassion was already, that deep emotion was already there. I could, I could go back and draw a circle within a 10-foot within a area of where we were when that actually occurred. It'd be, we'd be on a parking lot, but I can remember very well where that occurred because that's where her apartment sat at that time. These, this is the moment when that attraction was first felt. With the harvest at hand, Ruth just asked Naomi you know, if she could go glean for her and her mother-in-law. And again, remember who Ruth pictures? It pictures us. So she said, let me go and glean ears of corn. And, her, and Naomi said, go. Now Ruth's choice here is uh, truly telling of her heart and of her desire to bring goodness to Naomi. It should always be our choice during this time of harvest that we currently live in because we are in harvest time. We are gathering in a harvest right now before his second coming. So it should always be our choice during this harvest time that as disciples, we should also gather and bless others when the opportunity comes. Naomi, Ruth simply expressed a heart that ought to be found in every one of us. Naomi was tired, Naomi was beaten, Naomi was broken, and it was out of Ruth's kindness, it was out of her goodness, it was out of her love for someone else, that she would put herself in that position, and she would go out and, and gather within the harvest to bring blessing to somebody else. It should be our desire during the, during the harvest time as believers, forgiven and made whole, to active, actively desire that same thing for other people. It's truly amazing. I'll use Miss Jane's as an example. But why is Miss Jane's rare? When you go talk to her, one of the things that she's going to share with you very quickly is how 
within that nursing home, she has witnessed to someone asking them about their relationship with Jesus Christ. She's going to ask them. She wants to know. She, ha she has a sincere desire out of the love that is truly in her. And if you visit with her a minute, you'll know that, that is, her life is defined by love. Why in the world would she not, now knowing the love of God as she knows it, at 97 years old, want desperately to share that with somebody else who may not know it? Why, does, why isn't that normal? Isn't it amazing that you and I, having received the goodness of God and the grace of God, the provision of God as we have, the salvation that we've received, are so hesitant to tell somebody else about it? Here's the simple heart in Ruth who said, I have such a desire, having now found favor in Boaz's eyes, to have, to have experienced what I've experienced, to bring full blessing to Naomi. I, it, it is amazing, to, to, it should be amazing to all of us that here we are as churches, I'm not talking about First Baptist Church Sunday, but churches around the world who by our own testimony speak of the love of God, the salvation of God that came into my life, that changed so much for me so drastically, that it's eight years, at eight years old, I was, I was right here. It was a different pew, but I was right here. At the end of this one, Thomas Lynn was standing right here, and I made those six steps and told him about something that had happened to me two nights before when my mother and I were sitting on the side of the bed and she introduced me to Jesus because the questions were just, were just overwhelming me and she taught me and told me about Jesus and that was the night that I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior. I walked these six steps and was, was, the following Sunday was baptized in, in this baptistry. Why in the world, having received that salvation, would I not be eager to share that good news with somebody else. Something that I had received that I didn't deserve, why doesn't that become the passionate message of my life to others around me? I love the characteristic of Ruth because there was not an ounce of selfishness or self-interest in her. And it's, it truly is selfish of us or anyone who has, who has received from God what we've received and then disregard the lives of others as if they had no interest or if they didn't care. Another unusual thing about Ruth is that she didn't pretend to be a reaper. I can tell you, I know some people in, in my life that are true reapers. They, they are people who bring huge numbers into the kingdom. If we were to say who's, you know, within our lifetime, Who's been kind of the best at that within the Baptist church that, that we know? Who's kind of been that huge arm that reached out to bring in many or millions in, in the, into the kingdom? Whose name comes to your mind? Billy Graham. Isn't it strange that by Billy Graham's own confession, he says that I hope that 5% of those were truly saved. That's from his words. I, I hope that 5% of those millions and millions were really saved. can tell you 
and you know it as well as I do, it's that many, many lives have been touched by the gleaners. When I did Miss Ellison's funeral a few weeks, weeks ago on a Saturday morning, I did this roll call of women who led so many of the ministries of this church. And, you know, th I, there's a few of you here who, if I spoke these names, would, would remember. I'm trying to look and just take it. John Wood, Helen Wood, Lori would remember these names. Kind of past that, there's, there's not many. But if you were to think of, of church training in this church, for, at least in, this is in my mind, because at that time they were running about 200 in, in church training. There's, you know, there's, there's a name, Laska McChristial, that when I was coming up, she, was, she led and she put work behind it. We took, we took teams in Bible drills uh, to state regularly. Were you part of that group that went and, and didn't go to state? Yeah, Ruby Richardson uh, sat back there just once kind of one seat past where Randy is and always wore a hat. When you talked about evangelism and, and walking the streets, that was Grandmother Carpenter because she didn't drive, but she went with that Bible tucked under her arm and she was, she, I mean, house by house, street by street. She didn't, she would she'd put her Bible under her arm and she would go. Alma Stokes, uh, GAs, or WMU, which one? WMU. Yeah, Miss Ellison uh, had, you know, her, her calling card was GAs. And just tremendously great women. And what I mentioned about this group of women was that they didn't do Christian things. They never, it never even dawned on them to do Christian things. Because, because a Christian is who they were. And they were just producing Christian fruit. It didn't take work. It, ca it came very naturally out of who these women were. Because they, you, you wouldn't even imagine them to be anything else. And they were re remarkable women. But so many of these women were gleaners. Grandmother, you know, Grandmother Carpenter or Miss McCutcheon in the nursery or Miss A.B. Carpenter in the nursery when I, was, when, when I was little. Those women, we would never consider them great in the kingdom by any measure except, except for the very fact that they were gleaning all the time and they were gathering in one and, one and two at a time it might not have been by the millions, but they were faithful in the gleaning and they were working all the time in, those, in, the, in the places where God gave them. This, this attribute of Ruth speaks of patience. It speaks of the recognition that all are worthy rather than the majority. And it recognizes that one touch can lead to a great harvest. It was in the field that Boaz, you know, came and, and he said, you know, he greeted, he greeted the reapers and he greeted the, the gleaners and then he asked who the damsel was and he says this statement. It's kind of, you kind of have to think of it backwards because he says, hearest thou not my daughter. All he's simply saying is, I want to make sure you hear me because what I'm fixing to say, I want you to pay special notice to. He says, I want to make certain that she hears my instruction he wanted her to know the words, but he also wanted to hear the message behind it. He was, he was saying, I don't want you to go anywhere else. What was he really saying? What message did he want her to hear? He said the words, I don't want you to go anywhere else. I want you to stay in this field. What, was he, what did he really say? Yeah, he's really saying, 
Do you understand? I love you. Do you understand that you've captured my heart? Do you, do, do you understand that I think you're remarkable and that you're beautiful? How many of us sitting here today have such a hard time believing that, that Jesus feels that about us? I don't have any idea what, what Ruth looked like. But I do know that he was, his heart was captured by her in the field when she was working. And, he, and, and she asked him, why do I find favor? And he didn't say because you're beautiful. He says, because I recognized immediately the kindness that you'd shown to Naomi. I saw your heart. And that's what attracted me. He says, go not glean in any other field. And we, un, we need to understand that's a very simple instruction. Because unfortunately we are critically incapable of staying in one field. What is he talking about here? What's the, what's the message behind stay in this field? I would, I'll go back just for a moment uh, to the question of God's design. You remember that message from a couple of weeks ago? When, when we understood very specifically that in, in God's design, when he says don't, don't forsake the knowledge or, or you know, don't betray the knowledge of, of Christ, the knowledge of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when, when Paul is given this warning about how to deal with, with Satan and how to be victorious and the things that he shares in those verses. We talked about the design of God and what that design looked like. Well, the design of God simply says this, that if, if I make sure, when he says, I, I, I want you to stay here in my field, I want you to live under the blessing of my field, I want you to stay here because I know absolutely how you will be taken care of if you stay within my field. I know the, how you will be provided for. I know the, the, the blessing above the provision that you'll receive if you stay in my field. Well, I want to tell you what God's telling us is stay within his design. Do not betray his design. And unfortunately, most of us have learned to live very comfortably outside of the design of God. I, was, I had a, just a great opportunity on Friday. I do counseling on Friday morning in, in Lubbock and but I had a call last week from a, a man that uh, I, I've known a while. I don't know him well. He lives near Lubbock. And he says, you know, could I meet you? And I, we set up a, a lunch meeting on Friday, and we had lunch together. And he, he said, I had no idea what his situation was. He said, I, I just have some questions that I need to ask you. And he, for the next two hours, he asked me questions. He asked me about, about things of darkness he, you know, he asked me about what's the Christian's relationship uh, to the government? What should we be doing and what should we not be doing? And so we just had a great conversation. When we got up to leave, I had already taken the ticket off the table. And he said, he said Randy, I've asked you to come. I've, I've put you out and, and let, let me pay for it. And, and I told him, I said, I, I need to explain something to you. I said, personally, I'm going through something right now that is uh, it's challenging. It's not a big deal. It's just it's more one of those pains in the neck than it is anything else. 
But I'm going through that right now, and I said one of the things that's most important is because of what I'm going through, I could very easily slide this across the table and say, yeah, you need, if you would take care of it, because it would relieve some of the situation off of me. And I said, but it's in these moments, absolutely in these moments, that I need to, that I need to pay the ticket. And he, says, do, he said, do you mind me knowing why? You feel so strongly about it. And I said, I don't mind at all. And I began to talk to him about the design of God. Because one of the truths within his design, as I shared with you during that, that Sunday morning sermon, when I make sure that you get what you deserve, the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the kindness, the love, the compassion, the comfort, the strength, when I make sure that you get what you deserve, within the design of God, I create the opportunity for God then to give me what I deserve. Now, I'm not talking about a prosperity message. I'm not talking about saying that, that I know what I deserve is more money. That's not, that's not the message. The message is that I set myself up because I have tended to you within the kingdom. I've given to you by the, by the nature of God within his design that I set myself up for him to bless me, to be in his favor. And he said, well, let me leave the tip. And I said, if you don't mind, I would, I would rather take care of it. And he said, he just sitting there and said, okay, then tell me why. I said, because we've sat at this table for two hours. I said, I know there's empty tables all around us. But I said, when I give her a tip, it will be three times what it's supposed to be because we took her table for three times as long as we should have been here. Yeah, yeah there's empty tables, but she tended to us three times longer and she deserves a tip that is three times greater than what I would have normally given. And he, he, said, he said, I can't believe in these simple things I'm learning such profound things. And I said, if I, if I make sure she gets what she deserves, then I put myself before, before the Father so that he can freely and easily give me what I deserve. What's happening in this story? Boaz is saying, if you'll stay within my design, if you'll stay within what I have provided, then I am going to make sure, because you have made sure Naomi got what she deserved as your mother-in-law, because that's why he speaks of the kindness. He says, I noticed that you did for her what you didn't have to do. I noticed that you tended to her. I noticed that you gave to her. I noticed that you blessed her. So if you'll stay here, you put yourself in a position now where I can bless you. That's kingdom reality. That's kingdom truth. That's kingdom life. And we wonder why when we choose to live outside of the design of God, doing those things that, that are, we, we move into, the, into this category, they're not bad, they're not maybe good, but we kind of put them in this benign category of nothing. And that, that's where we live most of our lives. And God's saying there's no such place. You're either in my design or you're outside of my design. And if you're in my design, you, give me, you, you put me as God in a position to, to allow the favor that I want to give you to be released. Uh, that makes sense. I hope you can tell the difference between that and a prosperity message because the prosperity message says if I'm faithful, then God's obliged to bless me. 
and usually financially. I can't quite do that. But I do know that, that in the moments when we feel like we need to be stingy because I'm, I feel uncertain about things, those are the moments that we absolutely need to be so mindful to give with every opportunity where God allows us to give because it allows us to be in, in a place to, to absolutely receive the favor that Ruth received from Boaz. Such a beautiful picture. So we come back to the question, are, are you staying in the field? Boaz says, keep your eyes on the field. Stay in the field. This is, where I, this, this is a world where, where the absolute greatest blessings can come. And because she stayed in the field, what ended up happening? How does this, where does the story go? We talked about it earlier. Because she stayed in the field, because she didn't go glean in other places that might have looked more attractive, because she stayed within the request of her Redeemer, because she stayed under his instruction, where did this lead? It led to a wedding. And it led, and it led to intimacy between a bride and a bridegroom. If we stay in his design, where does it lead? It leads to a wedding. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce a subject that will, that will confuse you, and then we're going to quit. We have a typical teaching within the Christian church that the church is the bride of Christ. I would encourage you to study it on your own. We'll take up this topic soon. But the scripture is pretty clear that the church is not the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Where did the bride come from in Genesis chapter 2? It was taken out of the body. That there will be a group taken, and I'm not talking about some are saved and some are lost. I'm talking about some will step into the intimacy of the relationship with Jesus Christ and some won't. What's the difference? What was the difference with Ruth? How did she become the bride? How did, in, you know, in the, in the story of, uh, of Isaac, how did she become the bride? Because through all the tests, she stayed faithful. She never succumbed to the tests. She never stepped outside of the, of, of the, of the instruction. She followed well within the plan, and that's exactly what... You, we stay within the spirit, we stay within that relationship, and those who he finds that have been faithful and obedient, obedient, which means I had to hear and I had to respond to that, those will be taken out, that becomes the bride. That's the bride of Christ. So for us to believe that strangely, because I'm a member of the church, I will be the bride of Christ, I think there will be many who are strikingly disappointed at that day when I said, I wish somebody would have told me that there was a difference between the body and the bride because I sure would have rather been the bride rather than the body. Most gracious Heavenly Father, such a beautiful picture of, of your design and how Boaz, it's such a, a tremendous picture of you as a kinsman redeemer. How he loved and was fascinated with this woman that he saw and how, how he loved her as you love us. 
But I pray, Lord, that we would understand the significance of, of what it means to stay within your design. As Boaz was giving her instruction, she was stuck in that moment to say, do I listen to him or do I step outside? Well, she listened to him because she had already been so overwhelmed that it had put her on her knees because of the grace that she had received. It, your grace for us ought to do the same thing, realizing we didn't deserve this kindness. We didn't deserve this, this, this salvation. We didn't deserve this spirit. We didn't deserve your love. And when we recognize that we have it, it ought to create in us the same thing. We ought to hit our knees in such gratitude, saying, Lord, thank you for this magnificent reality that you loved us in spite of who we are. And from that, from that grace then flows this faithfulness and this desire to stay within your, the relationship that you have established, that we would stay within the field and keep our eyes on the field, keep our eyes fixed so that so we, they don't wander off to other things, to, the, to, to, to a God of money or a, a power, a popularity, but our mind stays fixed on the relationship with you and that we stay attached to the field and that we work where you put us and in faithful obedience, Lord, we understand it's leading to a wedding of a bride and a bridegroom. I pray, Lord, our heart's desire would to be a part of that bride and not just the body. As remarkable as each will be, I sure would rather be the bride and to be that, in that intimate place with you. We speak these things in Jesus' name. Amen.